So today we're going to close up the series, Ghost Stories, right? Eight weeks, eight weeks of us opening the scripture and looking at the Holy Spirit. And if you've been with us this whole time, uh, then you've been challenged as I have to look at the full picture of the Godhead, not just operating on two-thirds, but a full picture of who he is. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk to you in what has perhaps been the message that I've held on to the longest. I've been waiting for this to kind of close our series out. And it's, it's, i got to warn you just in advance. It's not going to be one of those really light messages. It's going to be a challenging one as it's been super challenging to me. God has held up a mirror as I prepared this message for many, many weeks and just shown that mirror back on me. And sometimes it's been really enlightening and encouraging, and other times it's been just devastating as the Lord has done a real work in my heart. So I want to share it with you. And I, want, I believe that at the end of the day, you're going to walk out of here encouraged. And in fact, this could be a pivotal moment for you in your life and your understanding of God himself. Let me pray. Lord, I humbly come to you and ask God that you would make your scripture front and center today. The beauty and the treasure which is hidden there in Psalm 139 is meant for us to treasure, to study, to dig, to seek. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, bring it alive to us. It's not about my words. It's not about a performance. This is going to be a difficult moment. We just ask, Lord, that you would come in with that double-edged sword and do surgery in Jesus' name. Amen. So like you guys, sometimes my prayers are a little what I call safe. Anybody ever pray a safe prayer? Like, God bless us today. Lord, just give us favor. Um, help us, Lord, help us today as we gather. Protect us as we travel. Oh, that's, that's my favorite one. Um, bless our food. Thank you for this day. Now, by the way, are any of those prayers wrong? No. So keep, keep praying those prayers. But I want to say this, that there's a danger in our safe prayers. And that is that we never go deep. And we never ask God for anything big. And our prayers never become dangerous. They're safe. They're walled off. You know, I, I believe you should pray for travel, but honestly, it's an easy prayer. It's a safe prayer because chances are in your five minutes across town or your 30 minutes to Lewiston or even your drive across the country, there's a high likelihood that you're going to be just fine. You know, this isn't white knuckle out, you know, trying to make it across the Atlantic, Charles Lindbergh, you know, I might make it, might not, praying desperately for travel. So it's a fairly safe prayer. But I'm talking to you today about a very dangerous prayer. A prayer that will challenge you to your core. And it comes out of my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. But this is not a safe and easy, a benign prayer. This is a prayer that, like, like it has to me, I hope that it cuts you to the quick. And I want to arm you with this not safe prayer. It's one that David prayed in Psalm 139. Now, I love Psalm 139, but let me give you a little bit of a preface before we get to the verse. And that is, this prayer ends Psalm 139, which is not about you. And Psalm 139, you may not know it, but you actually do know parts of it. If you've, you've probably quoted it without thinking about it. 
Psalm 139 is kind of uh, one of those psalms that people will tend to take bits of it and they'll put it like up on a calendar or like on a plaque on the wall, you know, to remind you like after your Thanksgiving dinner and the belt's a little tight or you get through the Christmas season and you realize you look in the mirror and you put on a few pounds and you're like, oh, I feel so bad about myself, you know. And then you just go, no, you go back to Psalm 139 or you see it there, a little note, sticky note, something like that. And you go, ah, no, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's just that reminder, it's an encouragement, we feel better about ourselves. But I want to rescue Psalm 139 from the calendars and from the sticky notes. And I want to say this, there's actually a prayer about who God is. It begins in the prayer, as a matter of fact, with this idea that you can't run from God. You know, he gets, you know, the Bible says, uh, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I rise up, when I sit down. You know all of that, God. You know everything I do. You know, you know my innermost thoughts. And then it says that he is everywhere. The Bible says that he is, in Psalm 139, says that he is in the depths of Sheol. He's also in the highest reaches of heaven. He is in the farthest east you can possibly imagine. He's also in the farthest west you could possibly imagine. He's everywhere. You can't run from God. It's all about him. But then the psalmist ends 139 with this prayer. And this prayer I want to read to you is a dangerous prayer. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me lead me in the everlasting way. Could we read together this dangerous prayer one more time? Search me, God, and know my heart together. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. And I want to break this prayer down into its four subparts. And at each level, I want to take us into this really dangerous prayer and I want to begin by search me, search my heart, know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Why would we ask God to search our hearts, first of all? Like some of us, we just think our hearts are pretty neat. You know, we say to like somebody that we like, well, she's got such a good, she's got such a good heart. Well, that guy, he's really good hearted. They've got a good heart. But really the truth is that apart from Christ, we are a pretty wicked people both personally and corporately. You know, if you study history, uh, you know that it's pretty surprising when you come upon a moment in history, like even the one that we're living in currently, where there's any sort of semblance of peace. Usually, people are at war, getting the things that they want, taking them by force, overpowering, overcoming people that we don't understand. That's the, that's the story of human history. And in fact, it's surprising when that isn't occurring, we'll name it like Pax Romana, like that's, that's the Roman peace, so, you know, that period of time. But, but in fact, the human heart is desperately wicked. In a personal level, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful, what? Above all things, and desperately sick, and who can understand it? If you believe that you have understood the depths of human wickedness, maybe... A trip to Auschwitz-Birkenau might straighten you up. You might see that the heart is desperately wicked. Well, not me. I'm not desperately wicked in that way. That's probably true. But we lie to ourselves. And the most common person that we lie to 
is us. We're deceitful. We're deceivers. We don't even know how bad we are. And when we want to think about it and we want to come to grips with it, we think, you know, not me. I'm not this bad. Well, I'm a genetic mistake. I, this is not my problem. This is somebody else's doing. I, they, I didn't do this to me. Somebody else did this to me. We're not taking responsibility for it. And we lie and we cover up and we say, it's not that big a deal. You know what? God and I have an agreement. This is going to work out just fine. And God says, I want to know you. I want to search you. And by the way, the heart, what is the heart? The heart is that locus of motivation and what controls us and what propels us and fuels us. The heart is that space inside of us that creates motivation, right? And the heart is desperately sick, the Bible says in Jeremiah. What does that mean? We're desperately sick. That means that even if we're doing something really good, the chance is very high that we're doing it for the wrong reasons. That even though we're standing up and we're declaring something absolutely true, we might have deep within us a motivation that's not in alignment with Scripture, that's not in alignment with what God wants us to because our heart is desperately sick. We can't even do a good thing without looking at it truthfully and saying there was a bad motive there. The heart is desperately sick. And so this really dangerous prayer, search my heart, oh God, show me what's in there. Reveal it to me. There's an analogy that says the cops show up at your door. They bang on your door. You open it up. You're like, hey, wasn't expecting you. And the officer says, I have a warrant. And I want to search your premises. And you say, okay, well, you're going to come in anyway. I've got nothing to hide, so come on in. And they go from room to room to room searching for bad stuff. And they turn over stuff, and it's a mess. It's chaos. And that's the analogy. But that analogy is completely and 100% wrong. That is not the type of searching that God wants to do. And if that's your idea of God, it's a wrong idea. God doesn't come up, pound down the door, uninvited to come in and embarrass you and to find something by which to convict you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit as a searcher is more like this. He comes as a counselor invited by you to participate in your life. He walks through the door invited and welcome. And as he comes in, you as a person of integrity, invite him to walk around. And you might go into a room together and the Holy Spirit says, there, there is your lust. And you look at it and you say, I know. And the Holy Spirit says, let's go deeper than that. The counselor says, let's uncover some more about that. Let's look into it. Let's see why. Let's look at your motives. Let's look at your motivation. And you say, well, I haven't really brought that out and operated on it. Lord, it's been hidden here. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about what you're doing. I'm talking about inside your motivation. I want to see that. I want to bring it out into the light so that you and I can deal with it and we can be close together again. The counselor might say, let's go down this hallway. Let's walk down these stairs. And you might go, whoa, don't do that. That's my basement. I, that's the area that I have walled off. I don't let anyone down there. And the counselor says, it's okay. I can handle it. 
and he walks with you hand in hand down the stairs in these dark places in your life, places that you have hidden things away from him. You have turned off lights. You don't want anyone to see. And he comes down in love. He says, here's the light. Let's look around. And as, they, as he does, like all the rats scurry around. If you can just imagine me carrying this analogy a little bit further, the, the counselor says, ah, oh, in the corner there, there's some really dark, nasty stuff. That's my addiction, Lord. That's my addiction. I need to deal with that. The Holy Spirit, let's bring this into light. Let's bring this into the light. And as he does, as he reveals what is motivating you and what is controlling you and what has got your heart and what's got your attentions and your affections that are not of Christ, you begin to then see that the Holy Spirit's job is to move all that garbage outside of your heart that you might have space for affections with him. And this is the key. God is not showing you things in your heart because he wants to make you feel ashamed. He's not going to show you things in your heart that are not pure, to be cruel. God is not doing that to be cruel. The Holy Spirit comes as an illuminator to bring you into deeper intimacy with him, that you can experience the fullness of joy. You see, sometimes we take a look at the rules in the Bible and say, oh, God wants me not to look with lust upon someone of the opposite sex, and we think, oh, well, that's terrible. Like, you know, well, I, I just enjoy that, and I get a lot of pleasure out of it. And God isn't doing that to, to just to, to rob you of your, of your desire. He's saying your desire should be for something even better. Replace that, that heart of lust with a heart of love for me, that you can have a relationship with me, and it is better. So God isn't doing this to be cruel. God is doing this to restore a deeper intimacy with him. Pray the prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And then you got to do this. You got to listen. Got to listen. Because God begins to speak and transform you. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is there to be a seeker, but a transformer. Pray the prayer and then listen. The things that he tells you are going to be surprising. If you pray the prayer, search my heart, oh God. I'm going to pray it's dangerous. Search my heart, oh God. And number two, reveal my fears. Some of you in your translations will say concerns. But the best available definition that I have of this word concern or fears is actually this anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts. CSV gets it right. Reveal my anxious thoughts. What is it that makes you anxious? What is it inside of you that when you acknowledge, okay, listen, I am scared of this thing over here. And by the way, I'm not talking about snakes or spiders. I'm talking about those things that maybe everybody worries about. Finances, relationships, loss, kids, parents, all of those things. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of not getting married by such and such an age? You'll be too old. You won't find someone. Are you afraid of being stuck in a marriage, in a relationship? Looks like it's going sideways, not getting any better. Don't want to end up like mom and dad. What are you afraid of? Deep down, reveal my anxious thoughts, oh God. Search my heart. 
Reveal my anxious thoughts, O oh God. Are you afraid of the future? Maybe you just believe somehow that you have wasted your life. You're afraid. You don't even know what it is. You're just afraid of the unknown. You're scared, afraid of failing. Maybe you're afraid of succeeding because succeeding is just as fearful as, as, as failure because success brings with it new responsibilities. You raise the bar. You have to do better. Succeeding is heavy. Maybe you're afraid of success. Maybe you're afraid of loss and you're just going to wake up one day and all that you've, you, you've gathered together for yourself, it's going to be gone. Financial crisis, something happens, you lose it. And you're afraid. These are my things. These are my things. And you're holding on. And you're afraid. All legitimate fears. Why does this matter? Why do we have to pray, reveal my anxious thoughts, reveal my fears? <coughs> We pray this prayer because what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. Let me say it again. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. God, reveal my fears. Show me where my anxious thoughts reside. Maybe I'm not trusting God enough with my marriage. Maybe I'm not trusting God enough with my future, enough with my finances. Maybe I'm not trusting God enough to save this relationship that I'm in. Maybe I'm not trusting God enough to give me peace in the difficult circumstances. I prayed this prayer. I said, God, reveal my fears. And I didn't like how it reflected back at me, so I'm just going to share with you the process. First of all, I understand that I have this fear of failure. I have a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety over failing. And I, I think sometimes that if I succeed, I'm succeeding not because of the success, just because I'm afraid of failing. So I just want to do it right. I want to succeed. But it leads to a fear going a little bit deeper as the Holy Spirit just revealed this to me. I kept praying this prayer. It leads to a fear of just letting people down, you know. Like, I, 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 I need to succeed but I need to not let people down. And going deeper even from that, it's just this fear of being inadequate. Anybody following, tracking with me? Like anybody of you guys ever feel like you're just, uh, you're, you're, you're afraid of not being enough? Like that, that's what the Holy Spirit was doing is he's revealing a layer after layer after layer that I'm afraid of failure because I'm afraid of letting people down because I'm afraid of being inadequate, of not being enough. Can anybody relate to that as I prayed that prayer? But it's a real issue, and I don't want to ignore that because I cannot be driven by fear. I must be led by faith, and I know that. And often my fears can keep me from being obedient to God. I know that I must not live in fear. I have to be obedient to God because I want to be led by faith. And so my prayer is this. My prayer of these last few weeks in preparing this message is just, God, help me to love you, to please you, more than I fear failing. I want to love pleasing him more than I fear failing. That's my prayer. And to begin to quote scripture in response to my fear, once I'd named it and I'd said, okay, it's pleasing people, it's, it's, it's fear of failure, begin to quote scripture, perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, 
Perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. I dare you to pray that prayer. Search my heart, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. Reveal them. Let's get them out there in an honest moment and say, this is what I'm afraid of. So scared of this, Lord. Help me. I need help with it. It's one of those anchor moments that could be for you a turning point in your life when you begin to see it and name it. It's your greatest fear. And God will reveal things about you that you didn't even know were true about you. You didn't even know that this was true. Wait, I, God, I'm not, I'm not an addictive person. God, I, I don't drink like my friends. I don't do. God says, yes, you are. You have an addiction. Let's look at it. You're like, oh, that. Yes, that. And it will reveal these things to you that you didn't even know were an issue. So search my heart, oh God. Know my anxious thought. Number three, uncover my sins. See if there is any offensive way in me, the Bible says. See if there is anything in me that's offensive. Am I living in a way that my sins, my actions don't bring glory to you? See if there is any offensive way in me. Anything that's inconsistent with your truth in the scripture, I want to see it. Anything that's displeasing to you, that's offensive to you, search me, uncover my sins. Have you noticed that it's very difficult as we look in the mirror to see our sins? It's easy, though, to find everybody else's, right? So what do we love more than anything? Justice. Love justice. Love justice. Our TV shows, what are they about? Justice. Oh, and revenge. That's another one. We love justice. We love seeing a good revenge story. Anybody seen the Joker, right? Revenge. We love it. It's great. It makes us feel really good because we love justice until it's about us. And then guess what we love? Mercy. We love mercy. We have a hard time seeing our own behavior as offensive and displeasing and it takes tremendous courage for us to say, search my heart, O oh God. Know my anxious thoughts. Reveal them. Get them out there, Lord. See if there is any offensive way in me. You know, we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves, but we have to put front and center this ugly truth that we have been displeasing and offensive to God by our behavior. Search my heart, O oh God. I told you this wasn't a light message, but you need to hear it. Search my heart, O oh God. Search my motive. Search my impurity, Lord. Anything that's making me do something that is not pleasing to you. Know my fears. Come inside. See my scary places, Lord, and reveal my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive, any sin in me, God, any offensive way in me. Search me, Holy Spirit takes tremendous courage to say that. I, early on in my ministry here, I used to get up, you know, like a lot of pastors will do time, you know, not today, but we'll tell jokes every once in a while, right? And uh, I used to kind of, and I still have a very sarcastic sense of humor. And I used to like share that kind of sarcasm, a little bit, a little edgy, you know, sometimes to get a laugh. And the Lord began to deal with me on that because my sarcasm was sometimes crossing a line. And, and people would be really gracious about it. They never, you know, a few people would call me out on it. And eventually, you know, a year or two into this, 
God really just drove me to my knees and said, what you're doing is you're dishonoring me by your words. You need to repent of that. And I, I was just like you might be, like, I'm really defensive. No, 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 I, it's not that bad, Lord. I mean, it's just, it's good to kind of lighten the room and, you know. And, and God said, no, you're dishonoring me. You don't need to do that to please me, to honor my word. And it was hard, but it was a sin. I was trying to please people instead of pleasing God. Search my heart, oh God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. So here's three questions that might help you in understanding um, what your sins are, maybe what your offensive ways are. For example, if you can't see it, maybe somebody else can. Uh, So number one is what are others trying to tell you? And I'm talking about people that love you, people that you trust, not not people that are acting in bad faith in your life, but I'm talking about that person which is close to you. They have your back. They love you. What are they trying to tell you? You know, if, you're, if your parents and your best friends and your, and your peers are all, the people that love you, they're all saying, you know that relationship you're in? I want to reevaluate that. I don't feel like that's healthy for you. But I want to pay attention to that. You might want to pay attention. Not always, but sometimes they're really trying because they love you to tell you something important. Number one, what are people trying to tell you? Number two, what have I rationalized for some time? Ooh, it's a big one. What have I rationalized for some time? Well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Not for me anyway. You know, I can go do that. I can, I can say those things. I, I can engage in that behavior. It's not really that big a deal. You see, God and I, we have it worked out where I'm just kind of an exception to the rule. And this relationship, yeah, you know, it's an exception as well. I don't, we don't really follow the rules that everyone else does because we have a, we have a deal worked out, me and God. It's a rationalization. And the problem is, is that through time, we create a cocoon of just invincibility around this rationalization. It becomes invincible. Pretty much like if you sit down, and I, I have with many people in counseling, then you can just see this impenetrable wall. Like you can touch all these areas, Pastor Scott, but don't you dare talk to me about that. That is one, we are, that's off limits. We are not talking about that. No, 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 because I have a reason. And guess what? I don't have to share it with you. And I don't even have to share it with God because God is not invited into that space in my life. When he's in my house, he doesn't get to go down that hall and into that closet. No, no, no. He is not welcome. That's called rationalization. What are people trying to tell you? What have you rationalized about for some time? And then number three, where am I the most offensive? (laughs) Where am I the most offensive? Oh, no. Not that one. Don't, don't, don't get, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not like that. No. I don't have a problem. No, really, I don't. I'm sorry. I know you really care about me, but honestly, I really don't have a problem with it. Well, I don't know. We found you, passed out, and I really think you might have a problem. Oh, I don't have a problem. That was just one time. That was one time. Well, then there was a week, a couple weeks ago. No, it's not a big deal. Like, I honestly uh, just had a few. And uh, I mean, just because I can't remember. And, you know, I, like, what are you so defensive about? Can't you acknowledge that maybe they're trying to help you because they love you to get back out of that situation? Some of you guys use this rationalization. Well, you know what? I need to do this thing that I know is not healthy for me because it's how I get, let me, let me stop you. This is going to hurt people. It's going to hurt. This is how I cope. 
Time wasting is a great one, right? You know, I don't have any time. I don't have any time to read the Bible. I don't have any time to go to church. I don't have time because guess what? Well, let's look at your calendar and let's figure out where you're spending your time. Oh my goodness, this is going to, oh. How about Netflix, right? Let's take a look at really where your time goes. Okay, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts me. And then it's like, well, that's how I cope. I need that. I need that time. Well, Pastor Scott, you just did the, you know, the Netflix thing. <laughs> you know, that's how I cope, man. <laughs> You're getting defensive. So I'm just here to tell you that you probably have more time than you think you do for the things that are super important in your life and spirituality. If you say it's important, where's that time? So uh, number one, what are people trying to tell you? Number two, what have you rationalized about for a long time, realizing that the more you keep rationalizing it, the less likely you are to actually deal with it head on. Number three, where am I the most offensive? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Reveal my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Let's stop it right now. Let's deal with it head on. When you pray this dangerous prayer, see if there is any offensive way in me. God will point out some things that you're trying to deny but I'm here to tell you that denying the truth doesn't make it not true. Denying the truth is just denying the truth. When we have the courage to bring it to the light, we do confession in two ways. It's important to understand that confession is a two-way thing. Number one, we confess to God for forgiveness. God offers forgiveness. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and he's just and he's righteous and he will forgive our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives our sins if we confess to him. The second thing about confession, though, is we confess to people for healing. We need to share in community with others what our sins are. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for, listen, pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. I want to read that again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. You know what that means? There's got to be within you a courage to reach out in this community to people who are like you, struggling in faith, trying to figure it out. Where is that courage to share? Where is that courage to confess? Did you know you're supposed to confess your sins? You're like, there isn't a person on planet Earth that I am currently walking in relationship with that I would share this sin with X, right? Guess what? You don't have the right relationships if that's true. And you, you need to own your own spiritual health and seek out those relationships. I happen to know, because I'm the pastor here, that in this community, we have lots of people that will walk with you non-judgmentally through your sin to help restore you so that you can get on track again spiritually. They're just here. They're just here. There's a part of this community. It's very healthy in that way. Search my heart, O oh God. Know my fears. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And then this all leads to the last part, which I love. It's this dependence on Christ. It's this Holy Spirit power. It leads us to the way everlasting. Lead me, the psalmist says, in the way everlasting. His, the way that he closes out, Psalm 139, is so beautiful. Lead me in the way everlasting because he's just talked about God being an everlasting God, an eternal God, an omnipresent God. He says, God, you are so big. 
But guess what? I confess to you that I need a leader. You need to lead me in the way everlasting. I, I don't know which way I'm going, God. I don't have Google Maps. I don't have it figured out spiritually. He, need, he wants to lead you in the way everlasting. In the early years of walking with Jesus, we get all the big stuff figured out. You know, when we get saved, we're like, you know, I know I shouldn't get drunk anymore. So I just don't do that. I know I shouldn't use foul language, so I'd get rid of that. You know, so you deal with the big issues. But I'm here to tell you this, that sometimes it's the small issues as we go further in our walk with Christ that are actually the big issues. <laughs> it's the small issues that are the big issues. It's often the little things that become the big things. And they're the hardest things. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know where I, you, do you know what I'm saying, people? You get, are you following me? It's the little things that are the big things, but often we just ignore those. Here's my prayer, is that you would just see this direct need for Christ to lead you in the way everlasting, that you would say in your heart, in a moment of honesty, Jesus, I need your power. I need your grace. I need your Holy Spirit. I refuse to perform for people. I refuse to live my life outside of the glory of the calling in which you have put in my life. I refuse to go one degree to the right, to the left, of what you have called me to be, Lord. And if I have to pray this dangerous prayer, search my heart, O oh God. See my motives. Lord, uncover my life. Uncover my anxious thoughts. Uncover my fears. Know me, Lord. Know me. Know me. Honestly, Lord, have access. Here's all the keys, all the spaces. Here it is, Lord. It's all yours. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. Lead me in the way everlasting. I can't do it on my own. Lead me in the way everlasting, for I will live for an audience of one. This is a dangerous prayer. Let's pray it together. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Could you say that with me. Could we pray it together, church, as a whole? Lift up your voices. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I want to ask you this morning to make a commitment, and I don't want to pressure you. In fact, I don't want you to raise your hands because you feel pressured. If you feel, however, conviction I want you to raise your hands, and by raising your hands, what you're saying is, for the next week, one week, as we get ready to launch Venture, I want a church out there praying this for one week. I will pray, and I will listen. Search me, God, and know my heart, and I will listen to him. And see what God will show you. See what God will reveal in you as you pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. And I want to caution you for a moment. You do know that you are not saved by works. You do know that even if you get yourself straightened out, that there will always be dark spots, right? You are not saved by your works. But works matter so much. Your fruit matters so much to God. God wants you to be intimate with him, delighted in him, joyful in him. But man, some, some of us, we got some, we got some, 
piled up like, you know, hoarding kind of junk in our lives, like, you know, the hoarders show, we got a bunch of that. Search me, oh God, take care of that stuff. Bring it out, bring it out, God. Just take it out of my life. Take it out of my heart. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I don't want to be a part of that scene. I don't want people like that in my life. I don't want habits like that in my life. I don't want sins dragging me down like that in my life. I want to learn good habits. I want to be in a community and an accountability with you, Lord, with, my, with God's people. Search my heart, oh God. If that's you, and you will pray that prayer for seven days, not out of pressure right now, but out of conviction, would you raise your hands and keep them up? I want to see some hands up. And you're saying, when you're raising your hands, that I feel the conviction that I will pray for seven days, search me, God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. And with your hands up, I want to remind you something, that you are going to want to walk through this journey with two things. Number one, uh, a pen and the paper is great. Number two is a friend, somebody that you can talk to. Can lower your hands. Somebody that you can talk to. I want to pray for you right now. That you have the courage to pray that prayer and to respond. We don't just want to be, I say this all the time, please don't ignore this. Don't let it fly by you. Don't just be a hearer of the word. While Pastor Scott had a good word. Pastor Scott was, he was fired up today or whatever you might say. I want you to leave here and obey God's word. He is an audience of one with you. Heavenly Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit as you are, um, your word is a double-edged sword, the word of truth. And sometimes it cuts hard and it hurts a little bit to hear a message like this and to think, I know what that thing is. I don't really want to deal with that right now. God, I, I, I'm like that too. I, I Sometimes things will pop up this week, and I'm like, nah, how about we just stick with the other thing that we started off with? And you're like, no, 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 no. Got to deal with this too. They're related. They're related. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we need you to cut, to do that surgery. And your Holy Spirit is so beautiful and so loving and so kind, and that when that occurs within us, it's for our healing, Right? You're not doing surgery to flay us open, to laugh at us and to say, look what I just did. I just cut you deep, man. Lord, your loving Holy Spirit comes in a moment of displacing sinew and cutting through flesh to reveal, but to heal. Finally, Lord, you desire to heal us, to restore us to intimacy with you. I want to know you, Lord. I want to pray like Paul prayed in Philippians 3.8. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to walk with you. I want to fellowship with you in your sufferings. I want to be like you. I want to be like you, Jesus. Not just what would Jesus do and some, some like surface. I want to go deep and I want to be like you. I want to follow you. I know I can't do this on my own. I know that I don't have the will to look at something and go, that's disgusting. That's not like Jesus. I don't want to do that anymore. But Lord, when your Holy Spirit is a part of that and you're unraveling and revealing and laying bare our thoughts and our hearts before you, you love us, Lord. You want us to serve you more. You want us to be more delighted in life, to be more full of joy in life. You want to free us so that we can be intimate with you. Help us, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.